Let's read from God's Word this morning. We're going to read two passages. The first from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, the story of the ascension of our Lord. Acts chapter 1, reading at verse 4. On one occasion when he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you going to, at this time, going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has sent by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word. And our second reading is from the first letter of Peter. Peter chapter 1, and we're going to pick this up from verse 13. Therefore, With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your life, your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass. Their glory is like the flower of the field, and the grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. This is the word that was preached to you. Amen. And thanks be to God for His word. Let's pray. Father, as we come to Your word this morning, in this time, we ask that You would speak to our hearts and our souls, that You would set our hearts on the hope that you've given us in Jesus. Amen. 
What's the plan? Is that a question that's asked quite a lot these days, isn't it? Different contexts. There's a cost of living crisis. And we look at governments and we ask, what's the plan? There's a climate catastrophe around us and we look at the international community and we say, what's the plan? Or perhaps we look at the church, either at the general assembly level or even just local level, and we we say to those that are supposed to be running the place, what's the plan? And it's not just a curiosity, is it? We ask these questions because if we know what the plan is, what the agenda is, what the boss is trying to achieve, or, or, or what the school's vision is, whatever it is we're involved in, then we sort of know where we fit into. We have a hope and we have a reason to do things, to go forward. It was the last day that they ever saw Jesus in the flesh at the beginning of Acts. And Peter asked a question. It might strike like a strange question at the time as they gathered around him. They said, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Now, without going into the background of what that meant, the kingdom, and what it meant about Israel, and what it meant about the Roman occupation, and all those things, essentially, what Peter and the others were saying to Jesus is, okay, you've risen from the dead. We know you're the Messiah, the Son of God. We know you're here. What's the plan? How do we get from where it is where things are still broken and things are still not right to where we want to be? What's the plan? What happens now? And then he ascended. And they were looking up to the sky wondering what came next. And the angel simply said two things to them. One is, he's going to come back. He's going to come back. That's the end game. Jesus coming back. And yes, everything will be sorted out then. And then the other thing that they've been told was, in the meantime, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you in a few days. And you're going to be the witnesses. And you're going to be the people that are telling folk about Jesus. What's the plan? This is the plan. Jesus, who has conquered everything, will make everything right. But in the meantime, there's work to be done. There's things to achieve. We ask that same question today, don't we? As we look at the brokenness of the world around us, we look at the state of the church, we look at the state of the nation, and we say to God, what's the plan? Not just because I want to know what you're going to do, but because I want to know where I fit into it. I want to know what I should be doing. I want to know where this all works. Years later, as Peter wrote this letter, and he wrote it to little groups of Christians, as we saw last week, scattered in the cities of of, of Turkey in the Roman Empire. He wrote this to them. You've been chosen by God the Father through the Holy Spirit to be made obedient to Jesus Christ, saved by His blood. Here's what Peter's saying, in a sense. What's the plan? You are. You little Christians, 
in the little places you are, in this broken world, in this broken church, you're the plan. God has sent his son and he died for you. God has sent his spirit and he's filled you with it. God has promised you that Jesus will come back in the end of all things. He is the one who's going to win the victory, not you. But, but, but his plan is that you would become obedient to Jesus Christ. That you would become changed by the Holy Spirit. That you might become like Jesus. Here's the plan. So think about this for a little minute, very practically. When you read the gospel stories and you look at that image of Jesus, when you see Jesus' love, when you see Jesus' service, when you see how Jesus poured himself out for others, when you see how Jesus sacrificed himself for truth and love, what the Bible says very clearly is God wants to transform us as broken as we are that we might become like that. Do you like that plan? It's a real question, actually. Do we want to become like Jesus? Because I'll let into a wee secret. If you don't, you're in the wrong place. Because that's what it's all about. As we worship, as we learn, as we serve together, the Holy Spirit working within us to change us that every day, as broken as we are, we might become more and more like Jesus. That's God's plan. And it's an amazing plan. It's a crazy plan that God would take a grumpy, bitter, unforgiving, lazy Scotsman like me and say, my plan is to shape you so that you become like my son. <laughs> Impossible. And then God says, but the Holy Spirit is sent that that might happen. Now, I'm not asking whether you think you're like Jesus. I'm not asking whether you think you've grown or any of those things. I'm just asking you this. Are you up for that? Are you up to see God doing that in you for the rest of your life until that day you stand before him, transformed by his spirit, that you would be holy like he is holy? Because that is what the gospel is about. Peter, as we saw last week, began with this great hymn of praise. Praise be to the God and Father of Jesus Christ. In his mercy, he's given us a new birth into a hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This is the wonderful gospel that we have of what God has done in Jesus Christ. But then when we read on to today's passage, it started with the word, therefore. Now, whenever you see the word, therefore, in scripture, one preacher always said to me this, when you see the word, therefore, always ask what it's Therefore, dead easy to remember. But what it means simply is this. What is the practical outworking of all this theology we've been talking about, all this good news about what Jesus has done? What does it actually mean? What Peter says is, get your minds alert. Focus on it. Be fully sober. Set your hope on this grace that is to come. What is the plan? The plan is that Jesus is coming back in glory and grace, and I want you to think about what this plan means, because it's going to affect how you live each day. Now, I don't often use the King James Bible, but the, I, I looked at it today or yesterday um, to see how it translated the Greek here, and it has a great expression. The King James Bible says, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, is that a great expression of poetry? Gird up the loins of your mind. This is why I love the poetry of the King James Bible. It's also why I don't use it. Because do you have any idea what that means? 
I don't. I had to go and look it up. But the idea of gird up the loins of your mind is simply this. In the ancient world, people wore togas with belts. Now, togas went right down to the ground. Now, I don't know this because I always wear trousers, but ladies, when you wear a dress and you need to start taking action and running, can it get in the way? It trip you up. Well, that's the sort of idea here. So, gird up the loins was where you, you, you literally took your toga and you tucked it in so that you could run. Uh, here, here, here's some great old pictures of, of folk doing that. I just love this. You know, get ready. Um, there you are. There's what to do. Get all ready. Um, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, I suppose if we were to translate it into modern language, you might say, right, folks, time to roll your sleeves up. Time to roll your sleeves up. But the point is, the sleeves aren't just rolled up for action. They start with the mind. Focus your mind on this. Get ready. Therefore, because of all this stuff we've been talking about, get it in your heads so that we can move out, that we can go there. Now, sometimes we think there's a contradiction here because we sort of think, well, are we talking about doing stuff or are we talking about thinking about things? We have this dualism, don't we? Some folks say, ah, oh, that's all theology. We want to do stuff. And other people just want to talk about things and don't want to do things. The interesting thing in the Bible is it always brings those things together. It doesn't have this two sort of set things. It says, think about these things, get your mind straight, let the Holy Spirit change your mind in order that you might act right. The Bible always says right thinking isn't just so I've got all the answers and I can tell everybody where they're wrong. Right thinking is order that we might right do. The two things always go together. That's why we sing hymns. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we pray. In order that our minds might be focused on the truth, that we might act in the way that God wants us to act. Think about it practically this way. A student is studying, and they focus their mind on graduating. What does that do? It isn't just that they think about graduating every day. It's as they focus their mind on graduating, they are motivated to study each day rather than go down the pub because the mind's in the right place. Okay? Or we might think about a bride focused on the wedding. What does she do because she's focused on the wedding? And maybe it's the groom, I'm being sexist here. But focused on that means that they start planning. They start doing, they start arranging, they start phoning, they start writing, they start doing the things, they start saving, they start changing their life around that goal. Or, or a candidate who's standing in an election and, and he begins to think about what it would be to win the election. Well, that motivates them to knock the doors, to do the leafleting, to do the work, to try to convince people. Having your mind in the right place gives you a direction. And that's what the Bible is saying it so often is Christians just not, not just know this stuff, oh, I believe that things that happened, but focus your minds, let it be in your view, gird up the loins of your mind in order that you might begin to live this hope and this reality, that it might change the way that you're living. So that as you're parenting, as you're spending, as you're saving, as you're resting, as you're rejoicing, as you're having pleasure, all of these things are done with that focus about what life is about and who you are and who you are called to be in Jesus. It also means as you're going through tough times, and Peter's a lot about that in this, in this, that you're able to go through those tough times because you know what the plan is. You know what the hope is. The hope is that we are transformed to be like Jesus until the day that Jesus returns and transforms the whole earth into that place of renewal.
that's what ascension is about. It's interesting, in some ways, of all the bits of theology that we have, the idea of Jesus ascending to heaven, sometimes I struggle with it. it I, I was talking to the session about this the other day. I'd seen some craft work that folk were doing, and they'd simply got a cloud, and they put it up there with a pair of shoes on it. And Jesus is going up to heaven, and it just seemed unreal. But it's interesting that this doctrine, this teaching about Jesus ascending to his Father's right-hand side is right at the beginning of a book called what? Acts. And what's the story of Acts about? Is it a story about how people sat around and thought about wonderful thoughts about theology? No, it's about how they got up, girded up the, mount, the, 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 the loins of their mind, and got on with this impossible mission that was going to change the whole world, that was going to plant new churches, that was going to take the good news, that was going to bring healing, that was going to reconcile Jew and Gentile, that was going to struggle through the brokenness of the church with that vision of what Jesus was doing that would transform the whole of the universe. And that's what Peter is talking about here. But it's also interesting here that when Peter says, set your hopes on Jesus returning, he also says, the grace brought to you when he returns. And I think that's important. Because what Peter doesn't say is, well, you better behave and do all the right things because Jesus is coming back and he's going to get you if you don't. That's sometimes what our doctrine has done. Rather, he talks about the grace. And I wonder that that comes out of his own experience, because when Jesus rose from the dead, he felt terror because he felt failure, didn't he? And what did he meet by the Sea of Galilee but grace and forgiveness? And that's why when Peter thinks about Jesus coming back, he realizes he's coming back, yes, to judge the earth, yes, to cleanse the earth, yes, to, to make the earth a whole and new and renewed, but it's also the forgiving Lord Jesus who died for him who assured him that he would have a place with him forever. And therefore, we look to the coming of the Lord, not in terror, but we look to the coming of the Lord in hope, and it transforms and gives us hope in all we do. I'm just going to talk about one more verse, and it's this verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the desires you had. When you lived in ignorance, you've got new minds, so you're going to live a different way. You know, I love that expression, children, because children are obedient, aren't they? No, of course they're not. What they are is impressionable. You know, you can, as a parent, you can tell your children what to do, and maybe they'll do it, maybe they won't. Sometimes they won't just because you told them. Yeah, there's a few parents nodding. But here's the thing you can't help. Your children will do what you do, and they will come to be like you. You know, children, as they grow physically, become more and more like their parents, sometimes to our horror. But it's not just that. They pick up the habits of their parents, the smirks, the cynicism, the bad sense of humor, the eyes rolling. Sometimes the politics and the prejudices too. They don't always pick up all of it, but they pick up a fair amount of it. And what Peter is saying here is, you are children, but we're talking about children in a different way because you've been born again of God. And here's the thing, that's not just to change who you are and your identity, but it's to allow you to be shaped by Him, to become like Him, to become like your heavenly Father. He is holy 
And so you should be becoming, conforming to be like Him. Not shaped by the world around you with all its values and its passing fads and its, its, its into this and its into that, but shaped by God, shaped by His moral purity, shaped by His truth, shaped by His light and His, out, his no darkness, shaped by His self-giving love that keeps giving, shaped by all of that. And as you see what God is doing and how He's raised up Jesus from the dead, as you see all of that, it shapes and changes you. You grow in it. And the rest of the chapter is about how you can, you can chase after other things, but these, these things are temporary. They just die off. Or you can have your life shaped by the lasting joys and eternal pleasures. Friends, God has done all this for you. This isn't a roll up your sleeves and try harder. This is an understand the grace of what God has done as He raised His Son. The grace as God has called you. The grace as God has forgiven you. The grace as God has given you a new birth, as broken as you are, as broken as I am. But to allow that picture of what He is doing in you to shape and inform every decision, to allow our thinking, our singing, our reading, our praising to shape who we are. Probably the way parents influence children more than anything is not in their words, but it's actually spending time with them. And our God wants us to spend time with Him. Not that we might become meditative theologians, but that our minds might be focused and filled by Him, that we might act, live, rejoice, and hope, knowing His eternal plan for us.